The expression, everyone's a critic, recognizes those who express opinions on a particular subject, regardless of their actual qualifications. Meet Mike and Julie. They are makers of art, appreciators of artistry, and possessors of more college degrees than is truly necessary in life. These two overly educated friends are uniquely qualified to explore the deep, dark corners of the art world and push the boundaries of that all-important question. But is it art? Hey, what hey. are we talking about today? Well, I thought that in the interest of the title of our podcast, But Is It Art?, uh, we should tackle the the artists known as Bob Ross and uh, Charles Kincaid. Is that his first name? Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. Excuse me. Thomas Kincaid. And But Is It Art? No. <laughs> World Shores Podcast. Thank We're you very not- much. <laughs> well, I... I, I think that's a great idea. I sent you a meme and I'm sure it will end up, you know, being used as our profile thumbnail the next oh, for this. M- more than likely. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Bob Ross <laughs> and, and Thomas Kincaid fighting it out. And um, I think that that sort of inspired me to consider, you know, which one was actually making art if either of them were. And why or why not? Why or why not their art? What is it? Why are they making art? And if they are, uh, can we okay. start over? <laughs> Absolutely not. We're halfway into it now. <laughs> no, I, I think. Uh, is it art? And is it, why or why not? <laughs> is it art? Right. Because, okay, I will give you a little background on uh, Thomas Kincaid, at least my background with Thomas Kincaid. And that is. I never really paid attention to him until mm-hmm. I worked at uh, the local big box bookstore where oh, we sold uh-huh. things where we sold things like uh, puzzles and you know small knickknacks with a lot of his artwork on it. Mm-hmm. And I recognize his artwork now that I know who it is, and it's Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light. Uh, but I had never paid attention to it until then, and I remember distinctly uh, looking at it and thinking. It's kind of like everything I've seen in every hotel room I've ever been in. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Well, it is. well, and tell me why you didn't notice it. Until, is that why you didn't notice it until it was pointed out to you that this is a Thomas Kincaid? Because it just blurred into the background of everything else? Quite, quite possibly. I mean, uh, I'm not the kind of – I'm not a landscape Kind of, I don't. I don't like land. I'm a portrait. I like portraits. I like faces. I like um, anything that gives me a good story in one quick image. Mm. You know, I. I'm. But these soft, lovely, overly romantic, romanticized uh, landscapes that he does. Just you know, they just don't hit. They just don't hit for me. You know, this is not my cup of tea, what it all boils down to. Well, Bob Ross also makes idyllic pastoral landscapes. And they are also, you know, stuff you'd see in a hotel room. Yes. And probably stuff I have. (laughs) Mike spends a lot of his free time in hotel rooms. Hey, (laughs) it was a tumultuous past. Don't judge me. No judgment. No judgment. Um, but I yeah. think that you hit on something when you said that. Let's see. You had said something about this idyllic pastoral landscape, and that it was on all these kitschy trinkets and puzzles yes. and whatnot. And it's funny because when I was doing research for this, as I always do, they call him a chocolate box artist. Like the art you'd see on a chocolate box. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a Whit- what? Yeah, like a Whitman sampler or something. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> this sort of nostalgia for a time that never was. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah. And this all like this cozy little cottage and this 
this, you know, the light raining out of it. Yeah, the dark, slightly rainy atmosphere and the path that leads into the woods by the lake. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that is so accurate, Uh, a chocolate box artist. And um, I found out that one in every 20 American homes has a copy of a Thomas Kincaid. One in 20. That's a lot. Well, I've read too that he made millions. I know. It's disgusting. He made millions with these paintings. And, you know, I'm not really, I say it's disgusting, but I'm like, I don't really want to, I don't want to criticize people who like them necessarily because we all like what we like and we're allowed to like, like, I listen to Taylor Swift. Okay. So. How can I complain? I mean, I listen to, like, I can do the high-end art stuff, you know, Brian Eno and and Philip Glass, but I also listen to Taylor Swift in the car. So if, you right. know what I mean? Like, I, I work at a museum and I see the best art in the world every day. And then I guess if I wanted to come home, I guess I could, you know, I wouldn't live with a Thomas Kincaid, but like maybe there's something else that I would live with. I don't know. Um, so would you consider Thomas, you use the term high art. Yeah. Would Thomas Kincaid not fall into high art? No. Why and, not? Oh, geez. Ha ha. See, and here's the <laughs> trap. Um <laughs> I think we do this every episode. We so far. do, we do. I think it's. I always say that Monet, and I love Monet. Let's not get anything twisted here, and say, and I think that for his time, he certainly was a huge innovator, and he still is. Um, you know, he's not alive anymore, but he still is mm-hmm. in the way that he makes you think about uh, the way you see things. Mm-hmm. But I always say that Monet is like the Hallmark card of the art world because everybody loves it. Ain't nobody going to walk up to Monet and go, what the hell is that? Or why, why is this valuable? It's pretty. It's very accessible. But at the same time, I feel like it elevates the form to a, dif- a different place because of what he's doing with his brush strokes. And um, he's the true painter of light, really. And I think actually Thomas Kincaid stole the painter of light from, uh, what was it? Not Monet. um, Turner. The artist Turner. J.W. Turner. um, Who is a pre, a a post-realist that was a step on the way to abstraction uh, Monet is also a step on the way to abstraction. It's like you you have this era of art in the Renaissance, the high Renaissance, where you're painting things exactly how they look. And then you're doing that for several centuries. And, and then you end up in the 20th century where we invent the camera and you sort of don't need to paint things right exactly the way they look. Yep. And so you don't need that realism. And so art becomes about other things. Now, prior to that point, there were plenty of artistic disputes to be had, but that I'm, and I'm simplifying this greatly, but what Monet was doing was really capturing the, the light as it hit certain colors at the moment. And, making dabs of paint represent those, those pieces of light. And so by doing so, the, the painting then sort of goes into abstraction. It sort of breaks away from full representation and it becomes impressionism, the impression of what you're seeing versus the absolute perfect record of it. Right. So it's, he does elevate, you know, these water lilies, this bridge over um, the stream in his little Giverne home. And 
that to me, even though it's a Hallmark card sort of situation where everyone loves it and it's beautiful, it still has an elevated sense about it. Whereas Thomas Kincaid, it's, I don't know, the word I would use is, it's kitschy. It's, mm-hmm. it's not. Okay it's not taking it anywhere else it you know and there's nothing wrong with representation in the age of of you know even digital the digital world which is now supplanting the real and becoming you know the hyper real <laughs> <laughs> which is a crazy a crazy uh topic for another time yes i was thinking the same thing <laughs> but uh so okay, to yeah, boil this it's down, catchy. yeah, go ahead. No, Sum so to it boil up this down, in, in, in terms of like Monet, though it's still you know uh, accessible, simple, and, and and everybody loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's high art because he was doing something different with the paint. He was yeah, he's he playing was, with techniques. He, he was, was playing, playing with, with techniques. techniques. He was playing with our perception of. Okay. Of things. And, then, and you and don't think... Would, I would say, and he would paint the same things over and over again at different times during the day just to capture that that moment. Right. Um, in a different way, so... Right. But Thomas Kincaid doesn't do that. No. He just paints the same crap over and over for the sake of making everybody feel good. And, and... you know, I had a friend who had a Thomas Kincaid print in her house and... I used to pick on her for it. And she's like, I like it. It makes me feel cozy. And, you know, it reminds me of England. And she had some relationship with the British Isles. So it reminded her of that. And But lots of people liking it. Is that uh, a criteria for high or low art? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know I'm going to play devil's advocate I know here. you are. And that's a good thing. I'm trying to think, though. I'm trying to think, like, what? <sighs> And I'll give you this too. Okay. Um, I cannot paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not in the way that Monet or Kincaid or Bob Ross, not even Bob Ross. I cannot paint the way Bob Ross does. I've never tried it. Um, not saying I couldn't eventually do it, but as of right now, I can't do what those gentlemen do mm-hmm. or did. Okay. So in terms of technique, in terms of being an artist, being able to depict something on the canvas, um, I have to say I appreciate their artwork, all of them. I appreciate Kincaid's work because uh, it does capture an atmosphere, an emotional atmosphere that people enjoy. It also demonstrates a certain level of skill. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what you're referring to you can't paint like that i can't paint like that right there is i mean there is a certain skill to it but um for some reason it doesn't appeal to me either so what makes it what makes that skill set different from a craft um and here's well, this is a very common debate in the art world by the way is what mm-hmm. what makes it arts and not crafts well, would you consider what Bob Ross does as art or craft? It's craft. I mean, and so is Thomas Kincaid. I don't like his content, but his craft is, you know, superlative. So what's the difference between art and craft in your mind? Hmm. Again, I think that you need to be elevating the form, not just the technique, it needs to be elevating painting all together, um, what painting can do and express. And that's a big order. It is a big order. After how many thousands of years of painting to elevate the form. Yeah. Is a big order. Yeah, but lots of people have done it in different ways. I mean, you have abstraction, which a lot of people are like, I don't like abstraction. There's nothing in it. And I'm like, abstraction is just form. It is just form and rhythm and shape. It is painting stripped down to the bones. Okay. So that is elevating the form of painting. So would you consider Mark Rothko 
Oh, I love Rothko. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> this is a, okay, this is a fight my wife and I have over Rothko. She Rothko. Lo- okay, go ahead. She loves it. And what, Absolutely. why doesn't it work for you? Because it's just square colors, you know? Hmm? I, for me, I would rather have a Kincaid on my wall than a Rothko. Get out of here. We are no longer friends. I will, this podcast I, is over. <laughs> but I know why. Because I can look at a Kincaid and at least get the hint of some of humanity. Well, you know, there's a dwelling. What if I suggested to you that the whole idea behind Rothko's strategy was to just have the colors wash over you? And doesn't doesn't color in and of itself convey a feeling? It does, but just a big blob of color doesn't convey enough information for me. Oh, I I see. I can't see a Rothko with his his ombre of two or three different colors and say, oh my God, that looks just like how I felt on my wedding night. You know, I can't do that. So you can't translate from... Literal to abstraction? Sure I can. Uh-huh. But just looking at a blob of color on the wall is not abstraction to me. It's just... What if you a- heard a song without words and it said, that just feels like how I felt on my wedding night? That's different because... How is it different? How is it different? Because number one, it's a different medium. It's coming through my ears, not my eyes. Oh, I number see. Number two, so- music... <laughs> Has, you know I gotta play devil's advocate here, Mike. <laughs> I know, and I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as as you a, should, but I, you, but but you're right. It's the same thing uh, that you just said, only in reverse, or uh, from my end. Mm-hmm. Um, music can touch me, and I first, and I appreciate a, a piece of music that can touch me more than. Hmm. A rough, like a big blob of color, because well, I don't why do you respond. Keep saying it's a big blob of color. Well, <laughs> tell me what it is then. It's, it's an a, abstraction. I get a, it. No, it's a sea of color. It's a wash of color. And yeah. I always say with abstraction, you take away one part of it, and the whole painting doesn't work anymore. Or is it just a different painting? It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work in a different way. Because certain we have standards in which we hold these art pieces up to. I mean, they're the basics of of any design, which is rhythm, motion, form, color, space, dimension. Mm-hmm. But why only focus on one of those? He's not. He's not. No. He's doing it all with the blob of color. Actually, several blobs of color on one painting. I don't think I've ever seen him do just one. Right. Then it comes down to the fact that I just don't get it. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. There are painters I that honest. I don't like at all. So you I, know, but And I think it's because, again, this is me. You come at this argument, this, this discussion – as a fine artist, I come at this as a performance artist. Yeah, but when I was in art school, all I did was performance art. I know, but you also have a much, much stronger background in fine art and museum work sure. than I do. But what if I said they were all the same banana? Anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> we don't have to answer these questions. We don't, we don't always. I don't think it's the questions. same banana, though. I do. I think they're all the same banana. They I can't think be. they're all. No, they are all the same banana. Okay, how about this? They're all different bananas in the same boat. There's no oranges. No, sorry. <laughs> yes. If there's we just have bananas. No banana. <laughs> <laughs> if there's just bananas, no oranges, no apples, no anvils, you know, 
No rubber what, tires. What I, I see it as all the same. I see it as all the same. They're all expressive arts. They are all expressive art, but you're asking me what, why is Kincaid art or not art versus Rothko art or not art? So I they're am, not but all... then I was asking you, like, what if I was comparing Rothko to music? I was comparing Rothko right. to performance. What if but they you're... were all the same motion? But they're not all the same. Yeah, Rothko well... painting is not a Mozart symphony. Hmm? A Rothko painting is not a Mozart symphony. You do not they're experience not. the same way. You do not they respond are. to it. To, you do not respond to it the same way. Nor will they ever come close to expressing the same thing. Have you ever? I, this is a this is sort of an off track question, but it, it relates to oh, what I'm saying. We are so far off track. This I is great. Keep going. But uh, <laughs> um, have you ever experienced synesthesia? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. Have I ever experienced it? I don't think so. So when you close- listen to music, you don't necessarily see colors in your head or like. No, I do see. I, uh, I don't see colors. I don't feel things. You know, I, if I'm listening to music, just solely listen to music, I can see performances. I can see dance. I can see bodies in motion. Hmm. I can see um, I can see plays being performed so, to this music. Okay, that's fair. So is that synesthesia? I don't know, or just my overactive imagination. It's more like. Yes, you have an imagination, but I wouldn't say it's synesthesia. Synesthesia is more like you cross the boundaries and limits of the sensory, the sense being activated by what you're dealing with. So you're you're seeing colors when you see music certain music is orange certain music is yellow when you see a painting you maybe are like oh i can i can make up a dance in relationship to this painting or how it makes me feel yeah my my senses don't crisscross like that okay i know exactly what you're talking about uh because i think one of my kids is slightly synesthetic yeah i am uh yeah, so you're talking about things I have no experience with. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why it's not all the same banana in the same boat. So that's an interesting perspective. I I, I would be curious to pursue this further, but we should probably move on to Mr. Bob Ross here. So, I mean, we're all we're still talking about everything all at it, once. It, it'll come back. I, it'll I, come I'm back around. Almost certain it will. <laughs> um. um. So I was uh, looking up some stuff about Bob Ross and apparently uh, someone called his work, not fine, fine art, but entertainment memorabilia. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's sort of true. Um, I, okay. mm -hmm. Yeah. Entertainment memorabilia for the modern age. Yes. I, it is that. I will agree with that. Okay. I don't I don't think it excludes it being fine art. Mm, really? Uh, <laughs> mm, tell me more, Mr. Bond. Tell me more, Mr. Bond. <laughs> no. Uh, um I ultimately Now Bob Ross was a teacher primarily. I don't I don't think he was an artist. He did paint. I, like he did over 30,000 paintings in his lifetime. Right, and he did uh, three per episode of the Joy of Painting, his, his PBS show. Right, so you know, and there was over four hundred episodes of that. Oh, really? So, yeah. So you know, three times four hundred is it's what twelve hundred? You're asking me to do math. I don't do that. Twelve hundred. Yeah. Free zone. Yeah, so you know, half of those paintings or a third of those paintings that you just said he did over his lifetime, he did for that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also, most of his paintings were done in front of either an audience or a classroom. Mm-hmm. He was a teacher ultimately. He was also, in some ways, a performer. Sure. 
teachers or performers in, in some way or yes. another. Um, but he was sort of like, I was thinking about this aspect of performance art that we call detritus. Are you familiar with this? No, this is a new term. Uh, okay. So when people do performance on the art side of things and not the theater side of things, um, where, you know, it does get blurry. I mean, you can't really define. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so this is like, it's not a formal play. You're not like memorizing lines. You're not necessarily, you're not getting up there and saying the same thing every night and, and, Mm -hmm. um, so on and so forth. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's to play with the nature of time. Sometimes it's to play with the nature of, of, of experience. You're giving the audience an experience, um, in a different way that they than they would experience as just being a passive audience. And so sometimes in these performances, um, because so much happens that isn't uh, like there's, it's not quantifiable in any sort of way other than to say that it happened, we call the leftovers from it, um, you know, the, yeah, yeah the detritus. It's okay. like, uh, so when I did performance art, I would call like the dress I wore or the stuff I threw around or even the words I said, you know, on piece of paper would be, de- would be called detritus. Okay. So in some ways it's like in theater, it would be like your leftover props and your leftover. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So in some ways I think of Bob Ross's painting as, as being detritus it's this this evidence that an act took place okay um so in in that perspective i mean you could say it's evidence of his teaching or evidence of his artistic act i'm really right. stretching it though <laughs> but- but again, it comes down to: Would you consider it art? Is it high art? Is it low art? It's low art. I mean, it's both of these guys to me are like the stuff you see in a hotel room again, or a doctor's waiting room, or you know, you know, I don't know, bus stop. And you know, when I talk to people about art and its value, I always say to like you have to imagine a world without art. You have to imagine, um, you know, a doctor's waiting room without paintings, without, you know, anything to look at, or even a hotel room without paintings or a, or a street without a, um, without a, a billboard. Right. So the line between low and high art for me tends to blur a great deal. However, I don't know if I... These two artists have value inherently because they are putting something out into the world that makes it more beautiful, I guess. Um, At the same time, it doesn't elevate the form in any way. It doesn't necessarily elevate my experience of the world to look at them. Okay. And I, I want that from my art. I want to be challenged. Now you don't. You want to, you want to have something cozy to look at when you're at home. <laughs> not necessarily. Just I not mean, a I, Mark Rothko. <laughs> not a Mark Rothko. Well, it's 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 nothing cozy, and I don't like looking at it. So. Okay. Um, okay. Ultimately, it comes down to personal preference and what gives you the warm fuzzies when you view your art. But our warm fuzzies are the only thing that we're supposed to get out of art. Is it only supposed to be pleasing? That's not expecting very much. Well, it depends on the artist then. You know, is the artist expecting to give more through this piece of work than just Come on, Mike. a nice comfortable your, time? Where's your Brechtian... Uh, sentimentality here, or lack of sentimentality. Sen- <laughs> lack of sentimentality. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, where's your Brechtian sense of purpose? <laughs> I like a good absurdist Ionesco play just as much as the next guy. Uh, but I think in terms of these two artists of Kincaid and Ross, 
their pur- okay their purpose was not to uh like you said elevate the form i think they were there just to elevate an individual human being yeah their wallet <sighs> cynical <laughs> oh my god <laughs> well come okay. on i mean bob ross is he did start like a like a what was it like a mail order thing where you could buy the paint and the let me let me give you what I read. Yes, he had okay. this mass. Yeah. That's how he made his money. He didn't make any money I, through PBS. I really only only remember very little about the joy of painting. Um, but yeah, he made no money through PBS. But he yeah. made his his five million dollar bankroll through uh, personal classes and kits and endorsed painting kits and stuff like that. Right. Okay. But it was always always about always always about teaching painting technique to somebody who wanted to try it. So Bob Ross's purpose for not only mastering his technique, but it was, it was there to show others that they shouldn't be afraid of it because he worked in oils. Yeah, he did. He worked, he worked exclusively in oils, which as an artist myself, I have tried oils. I hate them, but I've never tried the Bob Ross way to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think Bob, I think Bob Ross was, there to be a teacher because uh again he was not his soft happy little trees personality on television was pretty genuine from what i've read about him okay he did not want to cause strife in the world he didn't want but he loved to paint and he loved to teach and he did not want people to try this hobby just to become frustrated and angry with it so he approached it the way he did with these landscapes that could be done and still look pretty amazing for the somebody amateur. with not very much skill. Mm-hmm. Thomas Kincaid, his purpose, um, this is, this is, uh, I'm going to ask a question at the end of this. Okay. Uh, see what you think. Thomas Kincaid um, painted his, t- he painted his, to sell he, he he his works were meant to evoke like you said before these happy idyllic times that never existed you know he was an evangelical christian mm-hmm. with a very troubled past he also used that christianity to really rope people into buying his stuff right uh but again i think and I had also read that a lot uh, – one opinion from an evangelical Christian is that uh, most Christians don't want the dark side of life. They don't want the uh, the Brecks and the Ionescos hanging on their wall. Hmm. They want the gentle. They want to uh, mask or keep out the, um, the dark thoughts, the bad thoughts. Hmm. And I think that's where Thomas Kincaid came from. That's what he painted. He painted these places where you could go and live this life that was simple and lovely and precious. His purpose was different. Now, the question I want the question I was thinking about earlier today was can you separate these artists from their work? Now, as you look at their works standalone, not knowing anything about these two gentlemen. Can you call it art? But if you put its purpose and its artist behind it, does it change the work? Well, insofar as what I said before about Bob Ross's work being an act of being a detritus of an act, if it were the detritus of teaching this act that in my opinion, you know, elevates the world to a better place, especially if you're teaching the arts, it. Have I upset you? (laughs) No, I'm just pondering this very seriously. Why do I sound upset? No, I just, I'm really tired today. (laughs) I can't tell right now. That's all. (laughs) I'm really tired today. Um, it, It does 
change in in that Bob Ross sense. It does change how I view his work. And no, I still think it's a, a stretch to call it fine art. I think it's an example, uh, an execution of technique, an excellent technique. Right. So is, would you, so is that craft then and not art? It's a craft. He's, he's learned how to, he's learned how to make this particular technique of um, this a la pasta, wet on wet uh, oil, wet oil into wet oil uh, technique work for him in a way that, um, that he can make these landscapes, these, you know, bucolic landscapes and uh, very quickly. And that's fine. I mean, you know, no, no harm done. I, I don't think the world is worse for them being out in the world. Um, but no, no, it's not, you know, though, here's the thing about both of them. Here's why this podcast is fun, everybody, because this is what happens every time. <laughs> it's because we always end up going, you know what, though? <laughs> we always try to trip each other up. And... Um, I was thinking before we started this, and I, it just came back to me that that one of the things I was thinking about is um, there used to be this tradition uh, for painters in like the... I want to say like the early 19th century to travel through Italy or other sort of quote unquote exotic places and paint small watercolor landscapes and sort of uh, keep them as a travel record. And then they would, they, they were easy to travel with because they were these small, like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe the biggest one would be like an eight by 10, you know, uh, okay. and, and they were often much smaller. Um, and they would, you know, you could pack them up easily and take them on the road and be like, okay, I'm going to the next place. I'm going to paint this, this, this other pastoral scene of, you know, rocks and leaves and trees and crap. So there is a, a long tradition of that and, uh, and of the landscape and, you know, Bob Ross, the only difference really is that he was kind of like making them up, you know, and he, and, and so is, so is Thomas Kincaid. So, I mean, there's a long history of landscape painting. It ain't my favorite, but, um, I, I very rarely get anything out of landscape paintings. I, I don't know. That's, that's a bias I have. So I, that's a bias I share. Okay. Cause there's, you know. There it is. There it is. Hey, lovely. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. Moving on. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, yeah. If I were to separate them from their intention, it still doesn't work for me. Okay. Yeah. That's my, that's my perspective. And I, I really shouldn't judge, except I do. I really shouldn't judge. Well, you're a human being. You know, we can't help it. <laughs> um, that people like what they like. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of what else I, I had to say. Oh, I noticed that when I was doing a research that 91% of Bob Ross's paintings have happy little trees in them. 91% have at least one tree and 44% have clouds. Only 44. Only 44. Hmm. <laughs> uh, out of 30,000 paintings, roughly 30,000 paintings. 30,000. That's a lot. That is a lot. lot. It's, it's prolific if nothing else. And, you know, yeah. a lot of people give people give someone like Thomas Kincaid crap because um, and he did say and I thought this was like an incredibly egotistical thing to say, not that artists are ever egotistical. Um, he no. said he said in 2001, I really am the most controversial artist alive. Right. And but I was I think... like, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> when, when did he say that? 2001. 
I'm going to bet he said that to spin the argument that the art world considers him a hack. It, it was in response to that. So if you're going to, you know, I th- <laughs> what I read about old uh, Mr. Kincaid was that uh, he has been compared to Andy Warhol in the sense that <laughs> he is capable of marketing his stuff to a point where uh, it, it, you know, it kind of separates itself from the artwork. And, you know, cause when he, when Kincaid was alive, he actually in the late nineties to early two thousands, he had stores, Thomas Kincaid stores I all over California. I remember those stores like in the mall. Yeah. And he sold these experiences. He even went so far as to have a, a deal with Lazy Boy, the Thomas Kincaid line of furniture. What? For your cozy little cottage that Get you have a painting of, town. of. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> he also got into real estate in the sense that outside of Vallejo, California, he uh, partnered with a contractor to build this Thomas Kincaid uh, gated community. And see, here's where I have a problem with that. You had said something earlier about how um, he was Christian and evangelical Christians like wanted, appreciated his art because they wanted to keep the dark thoughts away. They wanted to sort of, right. they were so, may perhaps aso- associating those darker thoughts or those sort of um, problematic thoughts or experiences with, you know, uh, struggling with. Uh, values, morals, sin, whatever. Right. And I, I get that. I understand, you know, you not everybody wants to stare down the face of their existential right. no. existential Are, experience every day of their right. life. Some of us just want a little escapism once Somebody in a while. Just want, yeah, and that's fine. And, but here's where I have a problem with that and the the whole – suburban project there really bugs me and here's why it's not fucking real and i'm not saying that you can't have uh little houses white picket fence your your tv sitcom fantasy you can't you can have it i take it but it's not indicative of a true human experience nor is it indicative or inclusive for everybody who might not fit into that whether they're different because they have blue hair or they're gay or they want to marry their their you know their bartender who happens to be the same gender as them or they don't identify as the gender they were born as I mean there's a lot of things that 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 sort of bucolic picture keeps out. Agreed, but I think he knew that. I think yeah, he knew that's a problem. That is a problem, but I think he's selling. He's selling a lifestyle. He's selling yeah, and I don't a like fantasy like because well, it's not real and, it, and it's exclusive. It's exclusionary. Like, Sorry. Yes. Yeah. In those terms, it, it sounds like Disney. Well, yeah, exactly. It sounds like Disney should have like put their little stamp on Thomas Kincaid and like made it part of their theme park. Maybe they uh, were gonna. They may have. <laughs> anyway, Vallejo, California, isn't very far from like Anaheim, so. Right, but there was like a uh, right before the '08 housing bust. They had they had put together this little community of like a hundred or so houses, all one of four designs based on Thomas Kincaid paintings. And this contractor threw them up, and they they sold. And then what happened? Um, they had plans for like four more of these communities around the same area, uh-huh. but the housing bust hit, and it just didn't happen. However, the first hundred so houses still remain. Um, I'm not sure it's 
still billed as a Thomas Kincaid kind of enterprise, but uh, they still exist. Yeah, until the lesbian couple moves in next door. Well, it's California. I don't, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe know. I'm making assumptions that aren't fair. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, for me, I just have a problem with 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 stuff that isn't isn't pushing inc- the envelope. Is no, the, the, no, the the stuff that's exclusionary like that. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, oh, you're going back to what I said earlier yeah, about yeah. elevating the form. Yeah. No, I, I, there's something to be said for an excellent execution of realism. Right. I don't think Thomas Kincaid is realism. It's realism because it depicts uh, something as it would be. If it existed in the real world. Yeah. That's realism. Okay. Yeah. It's it's not still very idealized and sure it's idealized, but it's that house has a roof and it doesn't, it's not like it's not Picasso's house. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. (laughs) Not Monet's bridge. I get it. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. mm -hmm. So it's, uh, there's something to be said for realism and you know, yeah, I agree. (laughs) <laughs> we're not being fair to these poor people although i don't really like thomas kincaid as a person and like you were saying earlier does that change it 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 does i it shouldn't but it i think it does a little sometimes it yeah knowing a little bit about where it came from it, it doesn't make sense to me now yeah like i can see it as just this romantic ideal and like oh that's lovely and i can see how many people will fall for that and do fall for that um, but he, he uh, whether he intentionally did not confront his demons in his work or whether he just painted that because that's what was, or he was escaping in his own work. It's possible. It's quite possible. But knowing that makes me uneasy about it. So I, I, I'm one of these people who can never, almost never separate the art from the artist. I do it all the time because most artists, frankly, were assholes. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> there's this great group of uh, women artists called the Gorilla Girls. Have you heard of this? I, I know of them, yes. Yeah. So for the listener, it's uh, basically a an activist group in the art world that are women, and they all wear gorilla masks, so you won't know which artists they were. And are, are um, because they're still active. And they wrote a book once about how – most male artists, you know, were womanizing, drinking, sort of bohemian types, and they relied on the women in their lives to sort of make sure they were eating and their clothes were clean, <laughs> and they were they had enough <laughs> money to sort of do their thing. And um, you have, for me, it's like because I know that it's sort of hard to go into too much i i have to separate the art from the artist it's like let's not get into this but it's like jk rowling you know so right yeah we can't you can't take her on i mean agreed yeah maybe it's easier to separate the or less difficult to separate the art from the artist if you really do love the art you know like jk rowling for example i love those books I do too. I've read them several times. Um, yeah, do I agree with the author's position on things? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yes, I intentionally separate the art from the artist there. Mm-hmm. I think people, I think you have to. I don't think it's. But I don't care for possible. Thomas Kincaid or Bob Ross, so I don't have. And it's, it's interesting now that I'm thinking about it. I don't care for Thomas Kincaid stuff. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the talent and skill and the very unique vision that goes into it, but I don't like it. You know, it's, it's not for me for lots of reasons and the personal reasons, but now that I did some research on Thomas Kincaid, they're slightly haunting to me and I don't, I like them less. Hmm. 
but I, I felt the same way about Bob Ross's paintings. I appreciate them for the same reasons, but now that I know a little more about Bob Ross, I like them a little more. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that in this conversation, I've come to the same conclusion. Interesting. Well, should we leave it there then? That's probably a good place before we start arguing again. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next time to hear more arguing. (laughs) So, okay. So final question. Thomas Kincaid paintings. Are they art? Uh, There's... (laughs) It's the same answer every week, every time. Like, uh, well, uh, mm. (laughs) (laughs) I still say no. I I just, I just do. I, I'm the like estate of this pair. It's, it's true. I can be kind of a snob and, and, um, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, this I was <laughs> what? this was my idea this time. This I, was your idea, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a good conversation to have because Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I will, I will trade this conversation for the world right oh, now. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, but Bob Ross, I would say, you know, I can see those paintings as being detritus of an act. I mean, they don't really exist without him. They're just right. stuff. They're just hotel room paintings. But they're more valuable because yeah. of him. Yeah, because exactly. Because of his work, because of his personality and his, um, his, his, you know. Image and. Yeah, the teacher yeah. in him, you know, the, what he gave to the world, not just paintings, but inspiration and the way he did it. Right, exactly. You know, so had, had we come across 30,000 Bob Ross paintings without knowing him, would we give a shit? Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. <laughs> Probably I, not. Just to just to attack this on the end, um, I there's some artist that I see in various memes that go around Facebook. You've probably seen it too. I think you posted one to me the other day with like a Thomas Kincaid esque cottage scene with Godzilla in the background. Oh yeah, no, that was a Thomas Kincaid. Somebody had just. Uh, painted like there is this guy who like paints goofy stuff on like thrift store paintings um and i guess thomas kincaid but like um and i think that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) going back to our memes episode yes exactly (laughs) so that's all for now folks tune in next time Do we have a topic for next time or are we going to surprise everybody? I have a couple topics up my sleeve that we will talk about. Okay. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And have a wonderful holiday if we don't talk to you before then. That's right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for your attention and patronage. If you truly enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, download, and add a comment if you wish to join in the conversation. Please join us again on this enlightening podcast. But is it art? <laughs>